A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and welcome to The Daily Beast, the new abnormal. I'm a left wing pundit and an editor at large at The Daily Beast. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and figure out how to get ourselves out of it. And I'm producer Jesse Kennan. I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We have a really, really interesting show today. Today we're going to talk to Spencer Ackerman, the author of Reign of Terror, about the war on terror and how it brought us Donald Trump. And then at the end of this episode, there's a fuck that guy that you're really going to want to stick around to the end of because we have some exclusive audio from one of our greatest schools on this show, and it really is one of uh, the funner things we've done on this show in a while. But first we're going to talk to Dr. Eric Topol, the head of the Scripps Institute, about the breakthrough rates of infection from the Delta variant that's causing the vaccinated to get sick with COVID. I'm so excited to have you back, Dr. Eric Topol. Hey, I'm great to be with you again, Molly. Let's talk about Delta, because I think we got to talk about Delta. What is going on? It's actually a bad scene in many respects. Obviously, everyone is aware of what's going on in Florida and Louisiana and the South Gulf Coast. But the problem is it's deeper than that. The vaccines are leaking. Is uh, the percent of people protected infections. You know, it used to be 95% protection from the original, basically, you know, alpha and the progenies of the virus, 95%. Now it's probably 50%. Really? You think it's that low? Yeah. And now, and it isn't being told to the public. So they don't know. They keep thinking that all oh, these vaccines are, are just going to hold up. And that's the problem. They're not good enough by themselves. We need the mass, the distance. You know, that Swiss cheese model pulling out yeah. all the stops Yeah, yeah, yeah. we need right now. And so yeah. the, 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 the public is misled about uh, the vaccines um, are not. And, and we see that it's very in Israel. Right. Israel, the numbers in Israel were like, what, 60 percent? Well, they were initially 60 percent, but over the more extended five, 39 percent. If you look at UK data. It random sampling, and they showed that the range was 49 to 60 protect infection. So this is nothing like 95% anymore. No, it's not. Yeah. No, I mean, that is the thing that I have noticed. It strikes me as it's more like 49% breakthrough rate, but then there's like a high percentage of people who get breakthrough with asymptomatic. Yeah, I mean, I think we don't know because we test so poorly. You know, we have one-fifth the number of tests of UK or Israel or many countries, and we're not even at one half of where we were in the third monster wave. Yeah. Uh, when, when we still weren't doing enough testing. So, you know, just to be clear, the hospitalization and death protection is, is quite high. good. Yeah. It's very high. It's not as high as it was, though. I mean, it right. was, you know, 96% or something. Now it's probably closer to 90, 88%. Yeah. So that's dropped down a little bit, too. But right. the, the main thing is that the inf- this is so darn infectious that the vaccines are not holding up well. I mean, sure, they protect, uh, you know, 50% or higher, but that's nothing like what we had before. What have you seen? I mean, I feel like Israel is the test case because they're small and they're very organized and they're doing, and they're able to vaccinate almost their entire country. I mean, obviously, the more, there are larger moral questions about Israel, but just to look at vaccines, they're doing a third shot now. Right. They have over 600,000 people over age 60 who've already gotten the third shot. And it looks so far, it looks quite good. I mean, it's it's suppressed infections back to the way, you know, the 95 percent level. Right. You know, it's right. basically it's all about the neutralizing antibodies. Right. Yeah. So uh, if you just get up those neutralizing antibodies, even though this is the original vaccine, not Delta specific, right? Right, right, right. That's enough to, you know, give you protection probably for, you know, at least six or so months. So that's what we have right now. And that looks like where we're headed. I was very reluctant to be supportive of boosters because I I thought it was basically, 
you know, a good sales job from the, the Pfizer and Moderna because they were the ones, you know, presenting some data and saying, oh, we need boosters. Right. That was in May and June. The administration got really pissed at them for saying that they were working on boosters. Yeah. Yeah. But now from real data, real world data, not just uh, the fact that there was a story about neutralizing antibodies dropping uh, substantially. And we thought, as you know, that, oh, well, that's no problem. That happens naturally. The B cells kick in, the right. T cells kick right. in, and you know, you're good for years. Well, it turns out the B cells and T cells didn't kick in to help prevent infections and spread. They, they're pretty good. They're kicking in to help us prevent the, you know, the serious illness. Although again, not quite as well as we'd hope. So the problem we got here now is that we're a neutralizing antibody dependent uh, situation to protect against spread that and that's going to require right now you know your boosters in Israel are for age greater than 60 but then they're going to move to age greater than 50 and and so on so that's probably where we're headed over time right 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 and then there's also I want to get back to the boosters in a minute but then there's also a um, it seems like there's going to be a specific delta booster coming from Pfizer too. Yeah, well, we need that, and that would have been better. In yeah, fact, than, than a what third we have, shot. which is just basically the default because there's this vaccine already out there. But uh, it's going to take a while, and more importantly, you know, we're not putting enough of resources and priority to the universal pan sarcovirus vaccine. We can do that, yeah. but we just have to go after it, just like we did with the original vaccines, so we don't have to ha keep having boosters and right, deal right, with right. the next Greek letter variant. Yeah, that, let's talk about that for a minute. So I think people, vaccinated people even, don't understand why we have to vaccinate the world. And I want you to, to sort of riff on this, but essentially unvaccinated people allow the virus to spread and mutate. So the more the virus keeps going, the more it mutates, the more it gets around the vaccine. Is that correct? Absolutely. The problem we have right now is the dilemma about boosters in this country versus this global inequity of all these countries that have not don't have any vaccines or so little. But the problem, Molly, is that the U.S. is now the number one driver of of infections in the world. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. And so if we don't control it here, uh, you know, that isn't doing a good service for the planet. So, you know, there's people who say, well, you got to ship the vaccines out. Well, you know what? It is out of control right now in the U.S. Now, probably in the weeks ahead, it'll go, it'll be a U-turn like we've seen in other countries. But we don't know, right? Because in the U.K., those numbers went down and then they went back up. Yeah, they're starting to go up. They're not, not nearly, you know, like they were. But yeah, it's, it's very unstable because this virus is so efficient, Delta, in finding hosts. And it, it burns through and then it, you know, basically retreats. But, you know, there's still plenty more people out there that are vulnerable. Uh, and that's why, you know, it, it's not a stable situation. So th there is a global inequity issue. It's big, but we, we, we're we not doing our job in this country of blocking the, uh, the, the fert fertile grounds for more variants. As we're going to be a little controversial here, because we are saying what I think is true and what anyone can see is that the vaccines, while they prevent severe illness and death, they're not working as well. And that's why we're having all these breakthrough infections. And that's why we have to get the world vaccinated. But double the head of the WHO said that they these wealthy countries should not do boosters, that instead they should continue to vaccinate the rest of the world, which is a nice thought and is also a moral imperative to vaccinate the rest of the world. But they're not going to do that. And the WHO has really squandered a lot of goodwill mm -hmm. from the early days of COVID. Do you agree with that? Yes. I mean, I think that in the ideal world, what Tedros said at WHO would be right. And But look, Israel is already... <laughs> Right. moving on this in a big way. And they have been for months. Right. Many countries in Europe have already sealed up their, their plans for boosters. So we need to massively rev up the vaccinations, particularly the ones that are good at helping to prevent spread. And we need to control, contain this virus wherever it is hot. And, and it's really hot in the U.S. right now. Dr. Hotez, who I know you're friends with, has a recumbent protein vaccine that 
works really well and is really cheap, but the Biden administration is not buying it. Yeah, I don't understand it, but you know, I, I I think there has been a general embracement for the mRNA platform. Right. Even though it's hard to ship. It's so potent. I mean, it's our best, that and perhaps the protein Novavax, we don't know for sure against Delta. There are no data, but right. you know, even though it's leaking, it's the best we've got. If you start looking at these other vaccines, particularly the Chinese vaccines, right. um, the, you know, the data- uh, And the Russian- uh, it, and in the Sputnik, you know, we don't have anything good against Delta there that we know of. Uh, and so we have basically a much more formidable foe right now. And we need ideally to go into scale for vaccines that we know really work well. Now, uh, the vaccine Peter's worked on, you know, we don't have any data uh, for Delta. If it holds up really well, well, you know, gosh, we should get behind it. But I don't see the the efforts the all-out efforts for getting a much more potent uh, vaccine that will hold up for years against all variants, which we can do. The science is there, yeah. Oh, you think there is science to do that? Oh, gosh, yeah, because what's amazing is um, now that we have isolate these the antibodies that some people make, you know, like the less than 1% make these unbelievable, like, treasure antibodies against like every epitope of this virus. Um, and also through synthetic libraries, you can also go that route. But between these different strategies, we are the, just about there for having these remarkably potent uh, antibodies that take down all the cervical viruses, which is this family. Uh, and that would then lead to reverse engineering of a vaccine, which would give us the best protection not just against Delta, but, you against know, subsequent. all strains so, of COVID. Yeah, but you don't hear anything about it. You know, why not? The only organization that's backing it is CEPI, which is an international organization largely funded through philanthropy. But the U.S. isn't after going after this. It's why? really unfortunate. I don't understand it. You know, there's a lot of things, Molly, I don't understand. Like, why don't we have tracking of breakthroughs, at least going in the hospital in this country? You know, we don't even know. We have 70,000 plus people in the hospital right now. And we don't know what they're infected with, right? Well, yeah, we don't know uh, if they're vaccinated or not. If they are vaccinated, when did they get their vaccines? How old are they? You know, at which vaccine did they get? I mean, simple stuff that we have. Every one of those patients in the hospital, we have that data, but we don't have it as a country, which is amazing. I feel like one of the fundamental problems that we keep coming up against with this, and if you look at a place like New Zealand, right? New Zealand, they have QR codes. You go places, you register your QR code. If there's an outbreak at a place you go, they let you know so you can get tested, right? And so New Zealand, and then they have these very, very um, severe and serious quarantines. So New Zealand has no COVID. But America won't even, I mean, in Texas, they won't do contact tracing in schools. Oh, right. Our public health efforts uh, to do that uh, are, are just pathetic. But one thing that we're really missing to manage this, this is the hardest phase that we've had to confront in you know post-vaccination. We aren't using rapid tests like are being used in many countries around the world for, to, for navigating, going to school, to do anything. You know, the rapid test, it takes, you know, 10 minutes that you know, a paper test that anybody read two lines, you're infection, one line, you're good to go. They should be in every household. And, and, would, and why are we talking about going back to school without rapid tests? So uh, Denmark, Austria, Germany, I mean, Germany has got, kept the lid on Delta. They're all Delta there, but you wouldn't know it if you look at their data. I mean, they're doing beautifully. Um, Singapore, so many countries have managed this Delta wave, but they do rely on rapid testing to keep people at home so they don't go out and infect people. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. It seems completely nutty. Where do you think this goes now? Over the weeks ahead, we will make a U-turn. But, you know, uh, how much more damage is going to be done by Delta between now and then is, is you know, every day Florida gets worse. Today, again, I, it's just I just can't imagine how it can keep getting worse. Uh, and so what about Texas, the next big populous state? It's not looking good right now. So as the wavefront spreads further, the real question is, does it stop or does it start getting into, you know, states that are relatively quiescent compared to? So that's an unknown. But, you know, it will eventually 
make this U-turn probably in September sometime. Um, and then the question is, are we going to ante up? Are we going to get tens of millions of more people vaccinated quickly? Are we going to start getting serious about collecting data, navigating, getting better masks out to people uh, and getting people to use masks, uh, getting the rapid test, pulling out all the stops? Are we going to take this seriously? Finally, how much more devastation do we have to put up with before we get serious here? Yeah, I know I've started masking again when mm -hmm. I go into places, you know, and I travel now, but I just I make sure to mask. I feel actually pretty safe on planes because of the way the air is and also because I'm masked. And then I am just, you know, I'm just careful when I'm around multiple people because I know that even though I'm vaccinated, this vaccine isn't really a magic bullet anymore. Right. Now, what kind of mask do you use? Right. Oh, good question. Well, what kind of mask should I use? Well, I mean, I would say either a KN94 or an N95. You think? Yeah. Yeah. And if you, at the least, you know, double mask, tight fit of the of the mask on your face. Really? You know, but KN94s are relatively expensive. Those are the ones that could be shipped to the whole country. You know, they could have something on it like, you know, USA and where we're all united to, right. to take on this virus. But, you know, we, we've asked for this. I've been plead, pleading for the mass and the rapid tests for well over a year now. And now is when we need that. We needed them weeks ago before Delta you know, infiltrated here. But no, I think uh, I think you're fine to travel, Molly, and fine to do all that you're doing. But it, people, uh, I think, should take the mask story seriously. Plus, another thing you're hearing, it's fine if you're vaccinated to have gatherings, with vaccinated people. Right. Wrong. It isn't. Because vaccinated people can still spread. That's right. And they could be, you know, the next day is when they start getting symptoms. Or, you know, just today there was a Vietnam study 62 healthcare workers, uh, where they studied all breakthroughs. And they, uh, you know, several were asymptomatic, but had very high loads. So you just don't know. You, you just don't know. So I would not recommend people getting together with other vaccinated people in, in an indoor setting until we get through this Delta wave. Right. No, I mean, it strikes me as very, it strikes me as, as a real problem. And I think the thing that I'm seeing is that people don't want to talk about breakthrough infections because they think that, and the, and I think it's the, and it's the reason why people don't want to talk about boosters is because they worry that it will, it will, anti-vaxxers will seize onto it. But the problem is anti-vaxxers are so insane, they'll seize onto it anyway, and we need to protect people. That's our job. That's the point. People can handle the truth, at least the people who are not, uh, you know, engrossed in conspiracy theories. And so the, the issue here is tell the truth. That is, you know what, say the vaccines aren't working as well. Like in San Diego County right now, the odds of you getting an infection uh, if you're unvaccinated to fully vaccinated is nine to one. It used to be, let's say, 15 to one. Right. But still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's still provide. In fact, it's actually gotten better in, in, a, in an absolute form during Delta because Delta is like the ultimate acid test for people getting infected. So, you know, just give people the data. Let them know that you got to be on guard. There's too many people right now that think the pandemic is over or I'm fully vaccinated, so I'm fine. They, they don't get it that we, we, have a, we have a problem here and it's called Delta. Yeah, no, I know really scary. When do you think they'll suggest boosters? I mean, it seems like any minute they're going to start suggest because for people who have autoimmune, immune suppressive in, on chemo, the vet, they, two shots has, has never really been enough, right? Right. They need a third shot. And that should have happened a ways back. We've had the data. I mean, we've had the data for uh, organ transplant people. There's more coming out even on that today. They really need the third shot, and that may still not be enough. Severe immunosuppressed you are, the more you need you know, this help, this neutralizing antibody story. But no, I think um, we, don't, we don't have that kind of deliberate timeliness of getting decisions made that are critical. And we do too much watching, looking at data from around the world where we don't even have our own data obviously um, looking at and, and we can't because it doesn't exist. But I hope the booster story among elderly people will be coming up quickly to make the make the call. It strikes me that these mRNA vaccines are safe and that you can really get more than two shots. 
Can you explain to people why that's safe with the mRNAs? Well, unlike the adenovirus vaccines like AstraZeneca and J&J, they have a viral vector so that we do, we have an immune response to the vector where the mRNA is a pure message uh, which is going into cells to, to, to tell it to make antibodies. So that there's no... It, that is, it's inert. It doesn't, it doesn't induce a, um, an immune response. It's ideally suited for boosters. Uh, right. What would be better, as we've discussed, is you know get one that's actually against the virus that that is causing all the the problem. But right. but but it's a perfect platform, just as is the uh, protein, uh, the Novavax. These are the modern, you know, more ideal platforms for, for if you need to go after boosters rather than attenuated dead virus or the viral vector because they induce immune response that do you think that the i just eventually we're going to get mrna vaccines for everything right yes yes this and, is until something better comes along that's where we're looking. right yeah but for cancer and mm. for i mean this we what i think a lot of people don't understand and especially because there's so much anti-vax stupidity in this country is that we have crossed a rubicon here in science i think you're bringing up one of the most important things and to me the silver lining of the pandemic is we have a whole new approach to getting you know exquisite delivery to cells and the message the mrna that we never had before, you know, now tested at the ultimate scale of the human species. Uh, and it will be directed towards things like cancer, uh, autoimmune diseases, uh, 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 neurodegenerative diseases. It's wide open. We didn't have this before. And this is actually really exciting for uh, a way to combat the diseases that uh, we, we face. Yeah. And if we didn't have these mRNAs, we'd have millions and millions of people dying every day from this virus. Well, no, I mean, I think the other vaccines, the more conventional ones, like the adenoviral vectors and, and the other ones, they, they would do the job. They do pretty well. They just don't do as well. For, for hospitalizations and deaths. I mean, they hold up, you know, pretty close. You know, 92% instead of 96%, that's not that far different. They, they just fall apart, at least in the uh, Delta. You know, in, in, well, in Delta, but mainly the, the problem they have is they're not good at preventing spread. Whereas mRNA was so great at that until this juncture when they've come together more. That's why this, this has been uh, and, and, and will be, you know, we don't know if there's going to be another version of this virus that's worse than Delta. I sure hope not. I'd say there will be. Yeah, but, you know, this is so darn transmissible, so hyper contagious. It's going to be hard for this, this stinking virus to get to get even more, but it's possible. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or, I prefer, don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. 
Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Hey folks, if you haven't heard, every single week we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner. And sometimes we just have friends around to analyze what's happening in the news. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Spencer Ackerman is a contributing editor at The Daily Beast and author of the amazing new book, Reign of Terror, as well as the publisher of the Substack Forever Wars. So Spencer, you've written this absolutely brilliant book that I listened to you read into my ears. (laughs) So a lot of what you detail is people seem to think that a lot of what happened with Donald Trump's cruelty and all of the chaos uh, happened because he had a personality disorder. You make a very good argument that this was because of a lot of poor decisions we've made in our past. Can you explain that to us? Sure. And sorry to Jesse for having to listen to me talk about this yet again uh, after he supported <laughs> so uh, our audiobook. So I, at the time, working for the Daily Beast when I came up with this book, Reign of Terror, and the re- the sort of genesis of it was that there were a lot of explanations put on offer for how it was that Donald Trump became president. And, you know, some were more compelling, some were less compelling, but all of them seemed to just sort of gloss over the fact that for the past 20 years, this country has been continuously at war. It's been at war with an enemy it never precisely defined. That accordingly allowed a definition of the enemy to achieve a kind of escape velocity where it wasn't a criminal conspiracy amongst a group of violent radicals. It was ultimately radical Islam, or it was Islam itself in some circumstances. And once that decision coalesced, that opened the door for a really broad series of authoritarian possibilities. This starts, you know, really taking shape very soon after 9-11, despite the fact that, as you hear, you know, constantly, that George Bush said that Islam was a religion of peace and that this wasn't a war against Islam. Well, if it wasn't, I don't really know what would have been different. And examining as well all of the ways in which the structure of the United States government changes, not just to launch wars overseas, but to enact systems of surveillance that a generation before were inconceivable, mass surveillance, everyone's communication records being hoovered up and then analyzed on the theory that once all of that data is analyzed, connections between, you know, previously unknown people and terrorists will emerge, as well, 
the systems that bind presidents and make their decisions lawful, the judicial system in particular, end up acquiescing to the war on terror more than they end up restricting it. Most often, judges say that they don't trust their own authorities uh, to review national security information. And so what the president ultimately decides not only ought to happen, um, but how much we ought to know about that typically pertains. There are some exceptions, but that's generally the rule. And then finally, there isn't really for a very long time in the war on terror, much of a left-wing opposition. It really squeezes out space um, for for left-wingers in this country. But what there is instead is typically liberal acquiescence, not just from the Democratic Party, but from the media organizations that affiliate with it and sort of liberal intellectuals in general. And all of these things together, really over the course of time, hollows out America, makes its institutions brittle, makes it inclined to accept a whole lot of paranoid explanations, including outright big lies by CIA, for instance, and the NSA over the scope of their own counterterrorism operations. And all of this is just sort of waiting for a figure like Donald Trump to commandeer it. So basically, this is how we got Trump. I don't think it's the only way, the only way we got Trump. It is, however, a vector for all of the others. And like to give one example of that, think about birtherism and what the birther conspiracy theory was. Most conspicuous in the birther conspiracy theory, the one that held that Barack Obama was not really a citizen, but a Muslim from Kenya. Obviously, anti-black racism is like the, the real glaring siren of that, but it also mattered that the conspiracy theory held that he was a Muslim. That wasn't chosen by accident. It showed that the Islamophobia that really takes root after 9-11 throughout the country provides this atmosphere of emergency, that it tells the rest of the country that it ought to live in fear of their Muslim neighbors, not only uh, a conspiracy theory by a number of violent people that claim to act in the name of Islam, but people who might just simply worship or come from the same cultural or regional places that the American overclass chooses to understand the 9-11 attackers as coming from. And ultimately, this emergency provides an open door, a reason, like a renewed purpose for all of these nativist currents throughout American history to charge back in. And you see that with the right-wing reaction to Obama, kind of in general, the birther theory, the conspiracy theory, is a banner that those forces hold up to kind of justify through this you know, persistent state of emergency, why its works are so urgent. And similarly, this also wraps in fear of immigrants, fear of foreigners. That's the the kind of Kenyan aspect of it all um, in the kind of three-legged stool of birtherism. All of this together fits really neatly in the political environment that exists after 9-11 and persists ever since until it's just sort of waiting for Donald Trump. So I don't think the war on terror, I'm not arguing the war on terror, is the sole reason. I'm arguing for what its place within those reasons were. One of the things I found most interesting in the book is you really started with Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing. Can you explain that choice? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. It's important to me that the book see the war on terror, that it, that it sums up the war on terror by looking at it in its entirety. That is to say, you know, very often we understand the war on terror through looking at its component parts, the Afghanistan war, the Iraq war, drone strikes, NSA surveillance, torture, Guantanamo, on down the line. I wanted this thing to be the whole war, mostly focusing on what it does to America. And in order to see the whole war on terror, it's necessary to look at what happens when there is a terrorist attack 
that everyone recognizes is a terrorist attack, but it's not committed by Muslims. It's committed by white people. And once I started looking at the Oklahoma City attacks in 1995, in kind of contradistinction to what we know happened after the Al-Qaeda attacks on 9-11, you really see very vividly all of the ways in which when terrorism is white, it's exempted from all of this treatment. To give just like one very small example, there is a network of white supremacist violence uh, at the time of Timothy McVeigh's attack. It exists almost in plain sight. You know, you think of, you know, before Oklahoma City, places like Randy, Randy Weaver's Ruby Ridge. There are a number of other places in addition to this one place that Timothy McVeigh visits called Elohim City in northeastern Oklahoma. But all of the people involved in those like active terror camps, and again, we're talking about white supremacist terror, the oldest, most resilient and bloodiest form of terrorism in American history, terrorism that can command allegiance from just orders of magnitude, more people than um, supposed you know, radical Islam can inside the United States. And all of that infrastructure is entirely left alone after Oklahoma City. There's a narrow prosecutorial focus on getting McVeigh um, and his, uh, his partner, Terry Nichols. There is a big counterterrorism law that gets pushed through Congress after the 1995 Oklahoma City attacks that helps to criminalize association, that makes it easier uh, for people who have nothing to do with terror violence, terrorist violence, instead do things like, you know, donate money to causes that either terror groups use as a front or are otherwise affiliated with them. Those become more criminal and actions against them more punitive, but generally expanding the aperture of law enforcement, surveillance and prosecution against a broader cohort of people. But that cohort, by the terms of that very law, are all Muslims. And those connections that they're looking at are between Muslim terrorist organizations and Americans. This has nothing to do with Timothy McVeigh at all. And it's in moments like that where you really see very glaringly that there, you know, after Oklahoma City, there's kind of a proto-Patriot Act that gets put into place. But that proto-Patriot Act makes sure, for a variety of reasons, to neglect white supremacist terrorism, which was the very reason for the bill in the first place. So what are the places we're at now is, it seems even on the left who are we'd think are very anti-war is a lot of people are now saying Biden is really fucked up with pulling out of Afghanistan. What is your take here? If you can't quote unquote fix Afghanistan in 20 years, you are not going to fix it in 21 years. You're not going to fix it in 22 years and so on and so forth. And what you probably also ought to consider is that you are among the reasons why Afghanistan is in this state. The United States has tried for a literal generation to create, you know, this is often talked about, I think, in a, in, in a kind of fantasy realm, that is to say, filtered through American exceptionalism and this idea that America is doing Afghans a giant favor by not just saving them from the Taliban, but, you know, building structures where like women can go to school and so forth. And, you know, obviously, I don't want to diminish the nightmare. Um, for, for women that will come under Taliban rule, almost certainly. What I mean to say instead is that the United States isn't f- like in Afghanistan for women's rights. The United States isn't building stuff in Afghanistan for women's rights. The United States is building stuff in Afghanistan because it wants to have a reliable proxy that will host American military and intelligence power in Afghanistan a country that, remember, its western neighbor is Iran and its eastern neighbor is Pakistan, places where the United States wants to play in very different ways and in very different forms, and nevertheless, like a simply present, if not dominant, role in that, in that area towards those in other countries. The United States isn't doing Afghans any favors, nor is it seeking to make sure that Afghans have a stable future. It is seeking to make sure that America has a stable future projecting power in a place like Afghanistan. The fact of the matter is the Taliban won this war 
and America lost it. And there are consequences to that. The consequence in this case is that the Taliban very likely will take over the country. The question that I have for the Biden administration, when you hear people like General Frank McKenzie, the commander at Central Command, or Secretary Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, talk about retaining the right in perpetuity to surveil and, if necessary, bomb Afghanistan. What, in fact, is this pullout? Is it just a pullback and then re-escalation will happen once there is enough elite political freakout over the you know straight Taliban victory? That is what, of course, happened with uh, President Obama going back into the Iraq war after the so-called Islamic State conquered Mosul in 2014. So that is sort of where I think like the thinking about Afghanistan has gotten really confused in a way that, you know, left untrammeled favors re-escalating a hopeless and long lost war. So I've talked to about the first Gulf War and a lot of what I've heard from them is that actually the sanctions are more destructive than the bombings. Have you found that with your research? And sanctions are sort of the way that both parties think of like doing war in a way that is nonviolent. And um, they seem to be way more destructive than actual violence. You know, way more destructive is, is, is a matter of interpretation. Samuel Moyne has an excellent book that's going to come out in September called Humane. You may be very interested in that because it sort of takes a very critical eye at the ways in which American foreign policy tries to present itself as having a humane face when engaging in acts of domination and barbarism. And sanctions really are just one of these things that are entirely normalized in American foreign policy discourse and treated not on a continuum with bombing and with war, but as an alternative to it. What are sanctions? Sanctions are economic strangulation, either unilaterally carried out by the United States or often unilaterally dictated, but carried out with big multinational coalitions or even multilateral institutions. And the whole purpose of it is to make the economy of an incalcitrant or an adversary nation scream. That's a term that uh, Richard Nixon once used, make the economy scream against the democratic socialist president of Chile, Salvador Allende. The point of that is to make a, is essentially to inflict not discriminate attack like with bombing, you know, implementing violence against what's supposed to be a proportionate target, but causing enormous hardship amongst an entire population. It's a strategy of hurting an entire population when the point is to change policy amongst government officials. Government officials are really good, like elites everywhere, of insulating themselves from the hardships and the consequences of such tools like sanctions. So all that remains is a population knowing that they are hurting, that they are even starving, that they are being denied medicine, and that's because of the United States of America. So Spencer, Adam Hassoun is one of the main characters in the book. Can you tell us about him? Readers of The Daily Beast may be familiar with Adam Hassoun in a way that a lot of the general public isn't. But as I was mostly done with the first draft of my book, I discovered that there was this guy who was locked in an ice prison outside of Buffalo, New York, who had been the first post-9-11 terrorism convict. He was convicted of a terrorism-related offense in the criminal courts, who served all his time and was released but then was picked up by ICE and kept, in fact, in this case, he was transferred from federal prison to ICE custody and kept in indefinite detention ever since. So here is someone who it turned out had spent with, you know, the exception of a few months, um, starting in June 2002, the entirety of the war on terror locked up. And he was also like, once I learned about his case, a symbol of the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act is what 
expands the level of penalty for the things that he was ultimately committed of doing. It criminalized certain behavior, basically, like he was ultimately convicted thanks to, you know, writing checks to banned terrorist-affiliated charities, which were only banned after, with one exception, he wrote all of those checks in the 1990s. The exception was a check that he wrote, like, within a few weeks of the Patriot Act passing. And included in the Patriot Act was a power that had given civil libertarians a great deal of fear in 2001, known as Section 412. Section 412 allows for the indefinite detention of non-citizen people who are not deportable to another country. What does that mean in practice? It means stateless people like Palestinians. Well, it so happens that Adam Hassoun is Palestinian, and he grew up in Lebanon during the Civil War before coming to the United States in the 1990s. So that means when he gets out, or rather when he doesn't get out, when he gets finished serving his sentence for not acts of violence, but things that the United States criminalizes after 9-11, he doesn't get free. He goes to a different cage, an even more lawless one. And there's a big challenge to uh, his detention from the ACLU and from some brave attorneys in Buffalo. And it's ultimately successful, but not before the prison that he's in, the ICE prison that he's in, becomes briefly in April 2020, the worst affected ICE prison from the coronavirus. And we can't prove that Adam Hassoun got corona, but he got real sick at the start of the pandemic in a prison where there was rampant coronavirus very early on. And once I encountered this guy and started doing some reporting on him and reading up on his case, I just thought like I had to tear up a whole lot of the book because I found a person, a human being, who can take us pretty much from 9-11 to COVID-19. And I rewrote a whole lot of the book to be basically like a lot of this story through Adam's eyes. Love it. And it really works well. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Jesse and Molly, thank you so much for, for inviting me to talk about the book. Thanks, Spencer. What's crazier than QAnon? More outlandish than Pizzagate? And scarier than a Mexican getaway with Ted Cruz? The answer is what the American right wing has planned next. Be one of the first to listen to Fever Dreams, the new podcast from the Daily Beast tracking the conspiracy slingers, orange acolytes, and straight-up grifters pushing to retake power. Every Wednesday, hosts Swin Subasang and Will Summer check in on the movement of the radical right. Head to thedailybeast.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast player to catch the first episode and get subscribed. That's Fever Dreams, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Jesse Cannon. Hi, Molly Jungfast. I hear someone's being fucked up. Well, here's the thing. As one of the tweets said, Madison Cawthorn, <laughs> quite the case against homeschooling your children. Here's the tweet. <laughs> He's homeschooled, of course. Here's the tweet. 1984 is a great fiction novel to read. Let's just stop for a second here. Novels, all novels are fiction. So fiction <laughs> novel is redundant. A great novel to read. What else are you going to do with a novel besides read it? I know he looks 18, but that's like about the age you're supposed to read that by. <laughs> no, nobody writes like this. Okay, so it's a great fiction novel to read, right, as opposed to hitting yourself in the head with it. But it seems like it is becoming the reality we currently live under more and more each day. So clearly, I mean, for any, there are any number of, things here. Number one, George Orwell would not have been a Madison Cawthorn stan. I think we can agree (laughs) that he would not, you know, he was an anti-fascist, number one. Number two, he clearly never read 1984 because (laughs) he did not. Number three, this guy's just such a fucking idiot. I think the only way he would read 1984 is if the Gateway Pundit reprinted it. Yeah, I don't think the dumbest man on the internet... It's good to be reprinting it. But anyway, for that, Madison Cawthorn, go fuck yourself. Well, Molly, I'm going to abstain from the fuck that guy today. Instead, we're going to celebrate you because you have a birthday coming up. (laughs) Not until, I think it's not till next week. It's not till next week, but you know. An early birthday present.
you know, you you, you had said me. to me, I really just want a cool cameo. And I saw that opportunity just knocked because, you know, the wor- world works in mysterious ways. So now for our dear listeners, I'm going to play them the cameo I got you for your birthday from one Rudolph Giuliani. I, I do want to say for context, too, he followed so little of my directions. It was not supposed to say it was from you. It was supposed to say it was from you all, the fans. And uh, <laughs> as you will hear, he did not, he did not pay attention very well. <laughs> I wish we had the video. Oh, I, I, if only. Maybe, maybe we. I can hand it to the Daily Beast social. Amazing. Happy birthday, Molly. I understand your birthday's coming up on August 19. Jesse asked me to call you to wish you a happy birthday because uh, you are a big fan of and dedicated to Make America Great Again. And uh, it's going to need Make America Great Again, again, because of the direction it's going in right now. I understand you have a beautiful voice. Congratulations. That's just a gift from God. And uh, obviously, you got a darn good friend in Jesse uh, who uh, asked me to wish you a happy birthday. And also to say that uh, all the fans of your podcast are wishing you a happy birthday. And I wish you'd follow my podcast. It's rudyscommonsense.com. Just hit subscribe. You get it for nothing. It's rudyscommonsense.com. The podcast comes out on Wednesday, Friday, and a, an alert on Monday, a little talk about what's going on. And what I try to focus on is the information, the news that's not being given to you, that's being censored now in this very unusual time that we're in in America. And I'd love to, I'd love to uh, see your podcast. So if you can get that information to me, I'd be very interested in seeing it and hear, hearing your voice. But again, happy birthday. Enjoy the 19th of August. It's just a few days before my daughter's birthday. And I hope you have a great day, and I hope you keep with that voice, and it, it keeps bringing everyone joy. God bless you. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.